Hello and welcome to this Multipure podcast. Thank you for joining us for today's discussion. We're going to be talking a little bit about product today and water filtration technologies that you may be running into while you're out in the field. Joining us on today's podcast, our Director of Marketing, Michelle Priest. Hello, Michelle. Hello, Kenton. And our copywriter, Joel Polina. Hello, Joel. How's it going, Kent? Going great. Thanks for joining us on today's discussion. So we decided to put together a podcast about the different filtration technologies out there. And what this is going to be is this is going to be an overview of the technologies, some of the benefits, some of the drawbacks of these technologies, some of the limitations, and some of the uh, some of the points at, at which these technologies excel. And so there's certainly way more information available. So after you listen to this podcast, I encourage you to take a look at our website where we have uh, some additional information as well as uh, doing some research out there. This uh, this podcast could theoretically be hours long if, if we really got super in-depth with a lot of the technologies that are out there so that when you're asked uh, by a customer or a potential customer about some of these technologies, you'll at least have a few points that you can discuss with them. So without further ado here, Michelle, Joel, Unless anything to add to the preamble there? No. Uh, this won't be hours long. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's up right yeah. now. <laughs> All right. Now, it's time to touch on everything. So we've organized today's discussion in a sense in order of probably what's most common out there that you will run into with the one major exception of carbon block filters, which is obviously what Multipure uses. We're going to save that to last. And so don't take that as an indication that that is the least used technology out there and contrary it's actually probably the most most used technology out there but uh we're going to save that to last you know because it's the best so first thing that i want to talk about are, are pitcher style filters uh, primarily because these are arguably the least expensive uh, option that's out there at least some of them are but definitely the most common the fewest barriers to entry as we would say in terms of cost, in terms of just logistics implementation, easiest for most people if they're concerned about their water, which we know statistically people's number one concern about their water is uh, the aesthetics, is the taste, the smell, uh, the clarity of it. That's uh, the number one reason people look for a water filter, not necessarily because they're concerned about any specific contaminant, although that certainly plays a big role in it. Uh, so pitchers is kind of the logical place to start. So pitchers have been, pitcher filters have been around for decades now. And uh, I don't know, what what brands do you two see the most out there in terms of uh, pitcher filters? Gosh, there's so many. Um, but people find them in all the different stores. The big box stores have them. They find them at places like home improvement, places like Home Depot, or even Target. So Even grocery stores. Grocery stores. So, I mean, yeah. there's so many different kinds. I don't even think people really look at the brand. They're like, oh. A pitcher. I'm going to buy it. You know, I don't think that plays a factor. It's just so easy to use and so convenient. And it's a way to make them feel like they're making a positive decision and getting better water. So, yeah, I think, I think I've seen those uh, in, in Walgreens the other day. So they're they're kind of everywhere. And uh, and I don't know, I think, you know, obviously there's there are a few brands that always stand out like uh, uh, like Brita always stands yeah. out. I, I think I've seen Moen or Pure have their own brands out there. Uh, then you see like the, uh, you know, the big chain brands uh, will, will have their own like off-brand ones, uh, depending on what, what uh, you know, superstore you go to. I've seen those as well. I always find it weird because they all have their own little replacement filter 
Yeah. And it's and it's like there's so many different types. It always feels like if you got something, then you'd have to specifically look out for a place, especially if you're getting off a store shelf to find a little replacement uh, cartridge of a, a filtered carbon or granular carbon there. And I think it would be a lot easier to get the wrong cartridge for a pitcher if just because there's so many out there I've seen you see on the shelves. Yeah, you touched on something there, Joel, uh, about it being uh, granular carbon. So, yeah, most of these pitcher filters, and I think that their greatest strength is is their low cost. I mean, I think 25 30 bucks 30 uh, will get you a, a pitcher filter that's out there. For, from any of these places you've talked about, home improvement stores, big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, obviously online. They're everywhere. Brita is the brand that comes to mind uh, for me. But, yeah, the the... Well, the principle first, I guess we should explain this, of a pitcher filter is that you have a, well, what's essentially a pitcher, and it has like, it has two chambers. It has an upper chamber and a lower chamber. The upper chamber is kind of sealed off from the lower chamber, and the only way for water to go from the upper to the lower is through a filter, through a filter cartridge. So the only force acting on this water to get it to that lower chamber is gravity. Right. And so re- relying on the force of gravity in a fairly small space. I mean, these pitcher filters only hold a few quarts. I don't even think they're big enough to hold a gallon. Although I think some people have like um, it's a it's a modified pitcher filter that just stays in the fridge and it just has a little dispensing tap. I've seen those not quite as popular as the pitcher because you need to take it out and fill it. So the principle is you fill up that upper chamber with tap water. It trickles through the cartridge and into the lower chamber where it waits to be poured out um, for you know a glass of water or whatever. Again, the the number one benefit to these is they're low cost and you don't need to install anything. All you need is to have a refrigerator and you get filtered water. The problem is is that gravity is not strong enough to push the water through uh, a substantial filtration medium that would really do a good job of, of taking contaminants out. So uh, these pitcher filters are primarily certified for things like chlorine, particulate, uh, stuff that's easy to take out of the water. Some of the more advanced pitchers that I've seen out there will actually incorporate a what's known as an ion exchange media, a, a resin, an ion exchange resin, which is the same stuff that a lot of people use in their water softeners. And the, as the water passes, this resin this resin is formulated to target specific contaminants. The most common one is, is a, a resin that'll take lead out of the water. So there are pitcher filters out there that are certified by NSF to take lead out of the water, and they do that, I believe, mostly through a, an ion exchange resin, which just is a loose kind of like beads that kind of mixes in with the carbon, and uh, that's how that works. I always feel with pitchers, it's more like it's less about uh, how much they could improve the water and more that that kind of the feeling that you're doing something to your water and that's kind of what they're paying for. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm taking care of my water. I got the pitcher right there in in the, in the fridge. And no one really thinks about uh, the proponents of these pitchers or or the real diehard customers. of them don't really think about what exactly is getting taken out of the water. More like they could pat themselves on the, I mean, that sounds a little harsh. It's more like they feel better about, about putting forth an effort to improve their water. Right. They made a, pe- a positive step forward. The thing that a lot of people don't realize is the filters in these pictures don't last that long. So no. if you really want it to work the way it's supposed to work, 
you actually have to change the filter quite frequently. And also you can actually run out of filter. I know um, when my first son went to college many years ago in the dorms, there was no anything. So a lot of kids had pictures, these kind of pictures for their dorm rooms because they didn't have water in their rooms. And the, it was funny, the kids would just manipulate the pictures because the water was coming out too slow. I'm like, okay, you're completely missing the whole point of the picture, which is better than nothing, but you're missing the point. And they never changed the filters, kind of like they never changed their sheets, you know? So it's kind of, it's, it's a great stepping point into something better. And I think people who buy a pitcher filter should be commended, commended on making a step towards better water. And it's a small baby step to get to the great step of multi-peer, which we'll talk about later. You know, I think you can also, I think you can also refine vodka through a pitcher filter. <laughs> you pour it into the top chamber, it trickles through the carbon. It, it actually, uh, it has, uh, it does improve the quality in certain regards. Just <laughs> speaking of I'm sure rooms. that my boys never had to do such a thing. I'm I don't sure know how, where you must have Googled that or something. Kevin. I'm not I sure where you learned that knowledge. But, uh, college would never, would never yeah. do that. Yeah, never. Uh-uh. Especially in the norms. Uh, so some of the uh, some of the other popular one of the things about pitchers um, because the because the cartridges have to be a loose media again to allow water to trickle through is it does give uh, these manufacturers some flexibility and things additives that they can put into these pitchers one of the most popular ones and uh, we recorded a video on this five or six years ago is this uh, this pitcher that reduces the tds of water down to zero zero and so it does that again through an ion exchange resin but it needs a lot of it so the cartridge in this other pitcher is huge i mean it's like the size of a one liter bottle it's it's a really big cartridge again because it, it just needs to be in contact with the water for a long time and those back to your point michelle they, they really don't last very long i think when we experimented with it it took us one pitcher to exhaust the uh, the cartridge one pitcher full or maybe it was two but it, it was very few and so you know, there, there's limitations, there's, you know, there's some flexibility, but the, there's a significant number of limitations as well. Cost is one thing in terms of uh, installing, that's another positive. Here's an interesting thing, I'm not sure if you knew this, but a lot of the reason that these are, they encourage you to put these in the refrigerator is that uh, the cold of the refrigerator slows down bacteria growth that, that might result from removing the chlorine from the water. So as you know, you're pouring water from the from the top chamber to the bottom chamber, it's taking the chlorine out. So that water in that lower chamber is now more susceptible to microbial growth, bacteria growth. And so when you put it in the fridge, it actually uh, slows the, the possibility of that down. So, yeah. Well, you know, it, I mean, the, the way they market these these pitchers is smart. And the fact that they make the cost of the pitcher very inexpensive. So people can very much afford to buy it for, you know, I think 25 to maybe $50. It's, there's all different price ranges. But then when you look at the replacement filters that they have to do, and if, again, if they're following the recommended changing schedule, you're looking at a filter maybe a month, and it really adds up to a lot of money over the, in a year, in years coming. Yeah. So as a pair, yeah. compared to something like a multi-peer, which is very, you know, very inexpensive to use. Yeah, it's uh, the, the cost of, of a more robust, larger filter. You spread that out over a longer period of time because they just last longer. So the pictures, it's like the uh, the disposable razor model then. Yeah, it really is. For, yeah. you know, all the monies from the what their, their replacements. Yeah, they could almost afford to give the picture away as long as people were locked into buying those replacement cartridges. 
Okay, so not too much of a stretch from here to our next category of water filtration technologies out there, the carafe style. These are essentially larger pitchers, larger dispensers. You you have to, it's a, again, it's a dual chamber type system, but these are so large that you can't put them in the fridge. Um, they need to be, they need to be on the countertop. Now, the benefit of doing that is now you have a larger volume of water, so gravity has a greater hold on the water and can force the water through better filtration media. The downside is that it takes up counter space, and you know it's one more thing to put on your kitchen counter. I don't know about you, but my kitchen counters are well populated enough uh, that I really don't need to put anything else on them. So these these style of filters and things like a Berkey would would fall into this category where you fill up this upper chamber and then it trickles through. So it takes them because things like the Berkey use a, an actual carbon block. Again, because there's more volume, water's heavier, it can push through a carbon block now, but it still trickles through very, very, very slowly. And so you need to wait for a while for this system to produce enough water, you know, for reasonable, person or family or household to use over a period of time. Any commentary here? I always thought the reservoir thing was the the big limiting factor with with these types of systems similar to the pitcher where you have a finite amount. I mean even I mean obviously it's larger than a pitcher because it's a larger physical device, but you know, you have company over or you're cooking a lot or you just have a lot of water being drank that day and, and suddenly you have no clean water until you know, you wait enough time for it to filter through. Yeah, you know, another thing with this, uh, speaking of inconveniences, is ice. You can't really filter your ice with this. I mean, how many people actually use ice cube trays anymore? I mean, most fridges that are sold today have automatic ice dispensers. Like, I, I, have, I, I, I couldn't make ice unless I went to the store and bought some ice cube trays and, you know, shoved them in between the frozen pizzas and, you know, chicken wings that are in my freezer. But yeah, it's you can't really connect it. You've got a finite amount of water and you can't really connect it to anything. There's no pressure there to like wash off your vegetables. So it, it is a limiting factor for sure. Yeah, it is. And it does take, again, I just kind of, I think it's an important point of how long it could take to make that kind of water. So you could easily run out of pitcher water, uh, carafe style water. If you had several people in your home that were all drinking water at the same time, or if you're trying to use the water to cook with or wash your fruits and vegetables with, you know, you'd have to like, I don't know even how you would do that with one of those carafe or filter type things, but it's not as usable yeah, because uh, it's very limited supply. Now, some of the proponents of these technologies, though, would look at the other side of that coin saying, well, in an emergency, if you don't have any water pressure, you can still, you know, scoop water out of something and pour it into the top of the craft and you'll get filtered water, which is completely true. And again, because at least this one particular brand uses carbon block filters, you get a lot better performance, but still most of the time we're not in an emergency. Most of the time we don't need that functionality. Day-to-day -day use, we really don't need that. And so it becomes more of an inconvenience than a benefit for the most part. Plus, uh, purely from an aesthetic point of view, I, I know in, in my kitchen, my wife is very particular that all of her appliances are stainless steel with maybe black trim. And if you have something like, if everything has to fit a theme and you have something that can't be put under the counter or, or you know, under the sink or in a cabinet or something, having something giant 
uh, and having to fit in with everything. I know it's very minor, but I'm just talking from experience. <laughs> it yeah. could be an inconvenience or an obstacle. <laughs> to defend people who like a certain look to their kitchen, like I do, <laughs> you know, I, I'm that person that uses the toaster and I put it back underneath the cabinet so there's nothing on the counter because it just looks less chaotic. Yep. So the only thing that's on the counter is at night when I go to bed, the coffee pot, because it's going to be ready in the morning. But yep. then once we're done drinking it, it goes back in the shelf. Wow. No that's... messing around at this house. So that's the one place that looks clean in my house at all times is the kitchen <laughs> counter. So Good for you, Michelle. Thank you. Do they still make those coffee pots that are like mounted to the bottom of the of the upper cabinets? Do you remember those? Yeah, I, remember yeah, those. Yeah. I don't think I've seen those in a long time, though. Yeah, we just got a new one and it. We had to make space in our cabinet for it because it had to go away, which was oh, a big issue. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, unless you get like one of the fancy like uh, uh, French presses or something that's small enough, you just throw it in any cabinet or or like a pour over spout and get them, you know, if you're like a, a coffee aficionado, then that's really small. It could go anywhere, but coffee maker. Go it's kind of like making your bed, Joel. You get up in the morning, you make your bed, even though you're going to have to go back in at night. You yeah. put an appliance away as soon as you're done using it. That's how this house rolls. Actually, the, the coffee <laughs> Thanks, now, kind of works with the whole the whole gravity filter thing. I mean, isn't that basically what coffee's doing? You put the grounds yeah. at the top, the water's yeah. filtering through. Exactly. It, it really is. <laughs> That's yeah, you fill up show. your uh, you fill up the uh, the coffee cone with uh, some powdered carbon, and yeah, there you go. You got a you got a filter. There you go. In an emergency, we're good to go. <laughs> yeah, actually, would be a pretty cool video, like a little uh, experiment. See if uh, see what happens and how much uh, check out the com- contaminant reduction of uh, a coffee cone full of. Uh, <laughs> we should try it. Carbon. We should try it. Put it on that list. Okay, let's uh, yeah, let's move along so we uh, don't have an hour-long podcast here. Uh, okay, so the next thing I think the next logical progression here after these carafe-style filters, again, a little bit of a step up from a pitcher in terms of performance. Uh, the the most popular carafe style that I'm aware of is is the Berkey, who's has no certifications and performance claims are dubious at best, but it is pretty popular. But there there's certainly a lot of drawbacks to that. Okay, so next one up, I think, would be uh, refrigerator filters, uh, filters that are are built into your refrigerator most times. In fact, nowadays, I think most refrigerators sold if they have a if they have plumbing to them, if they have water service to them. Almost every one of them has has a a filter built into it. And a lot of people now rely on these uh, fridge-mounted or fridge-based filters, which is not entirely a bad thing. You know, it's definitely better to have a filter than to not a, not have a filter. But yeah, it's it's a pretty common common feature now with with uh, refrigerators. The funny thing is, if you talk to a lot of people about the refrigerator filters, right? They're like, "Oh, you have to change those." <laughs> it's the kind of funniest thing. They don't even think about it because you know you have so many things to think about in our everyday life, and the refrigerator is not something that we focus our attention on. So even though water's coming out of it, and even though ice is being made from it, a lot of people don't know to change their refrigerator filter. So. Yeah, and if the, if the little light turns on, oh, yeah. just, reset just push it. the reset button. <laughs> there you go. Filter's yeah. brand new. I see, that's what I love about a, about a multi-peer system uh, under my sink, is I have the splitter on there, and it goes, uh, the other split goes into the wall, and it comes out right behind my fridge. I have plugged right in there now the ice is and the water coming out of there is filtered too i just 
you know, I don't want to worry about about the fridge filter. I got I got the filter splitting off from my, my system. So, Joel, do you have uh, like a water dispenser on the door? Yeah. Okay. So, if your kids want a, a glass of water or, or a bottle of water, do they fill it up from the fridge? Uh, no, they got used to it from the sink before I had that thing hooked up. Oh, okay. So, so now it's just kind of you know muscle almost like muscle memory where they just go to the sink to get the water, even though they could get it from the fridge as well. Okay. What about but you, you know. Michelle? They only like the refrigerator water because it's cold. Cold, yeah. Mine doesn't. Mine, mine weirdly doesn't have a, a, a water dispenser on it. It has an ice maker, but it doesn't have. I don't know. Strange. Huh. Uh, but it's connected to my filter as well. So anyway, so refrigerator filters tend to be carbon blocks. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen anything but a carbon block uh, used in a refrigerator filter. They tend to be very small because uh, space inside a refrigerator is at a premium, so they don't want to take up a whole lot of space with it. I think it's getting back to one of the original points one of you two made about it just being kind of psychological. People are just, just that there's a filter there is good enough for a lot of people. And so the size of it and the performance of it doesn't really matter all that much. I don't think that's going to affect people's decision on which refrigerator they buy. Like if they were given the choice of, of a refrigerator with, you know, some fancy technology, you know, where it has like the computer screen on the door or whatever, <laughs> like if it had a, a super advanced filter or a super rudimentary filter, I don't think that would, I don't think that would weigh in on their decision at all. No, and I think the fact that they don't offer refrigerators with all different types of filter options shows that people don't really make it a priority. Yet there's so many different refrigerators with different door handles, yeah. different kinds of ice cubes, right? Different shaped ice cubes. So right. obviously that's a feature people people care about, as opposed to the type of water filter that's in their refrigerator. It's like yeah. a like a checklist thing where it's like, oh, it's got a filter that's better than this one that doesn't have a yeah, filter, like check, and that's check. where it, that's where it yeah. ends. Yeah. So these fridge filters tend to be pretty small uh, because they can be because, again, it's I think it's just uh, kind of one of those checklist things that fridge manufacturers want that I think what's most important to them is that it's an exclusive design where the customer has to keep coming back to them to get that specific fridge filter that fits their specific fridge. And it's just an ongoing revenue source for the fridge manufacturer to continue to sell those replacement filters. The performance, in my opinion, is always secondary. Although they're carbon blocks, they're not necessarily engineered or formulated to uh, do a really great job. You can look up their certification. Most of these fridge filter manufacturers, in fact, every one that I've ever come across has certification either through NSF or WQA. So you can go look and see what the performance is. Some of them are, are actually halfway decent, but again, they're limited by size. Very small filters, don't last very long, don't have the greatest contaminant reduction claims. And they tend to be really expensive too, weirdly expensive. Um, again, because I think they're exclusive, you know, the exclusivity of them, they can afford to charge more. Most people only change them once, what, every 10 years or yeah, so? Yeah, right. So. <laughs> yeah, if that. Okay. The next one? Yeah, let's go to the next one. Faucet-mounted filters. So these are, I, I feel like their popularity has kind of dropped off a little bit. I don't feel like I see them out there as often. Like when I go and I visit people and go to, you know, see people's kitchens and stuff, I don't see faucet mounted filters quite as often uh, as I used to, mostly because people either have a pitcher or they have a refrigerator with a filter, you know, integrated into it. And so faucet mounted filters, they're still really low price point. I think 
the only thing that would be lower than them would be the standard pitcher filter. And then you get into a faucet mounted filter, which is a step up in terms of performance. Again, most of them use a carbon block filter, but they're roughly the size of what's in most refrigerators. So pretty small. Yeah, and I think the problem is, is kitchens have become kind of a like a show place, you know, now it's it, before it was a functional place to to cook, but now it's more of a show place with the designer faucets, the granite countertops, the the decorative soap dispenser. So I think the the new sprayers that they have aren't really workable with those uh, faucet mount type of uh, filters. So I think that might be a big reason why they kind of people went away from them into things like pitchers. Yeah, I think it's definitely a design aspect in there because uh, I, I know a, a little while ago we were looking at, a, at, at replacing our, our kitchen sink uh, faucet and, and almost all of the new ones now are the main faucet is also either a pull down or a pull out sprayer mm-hmm. and there's just nothing you can connect to that because it, it wouldn't work with the new design and a lot of the newer design faucets have that kind of integrated functionality rather than like a separate spray handle and the standard faucet in there. So you just can't, it's just not feasible. You just cannot connect those things to it anymore. Just don't work. So I think that's why they've kind of maybe fizzled out. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's a good observation. And, you know, these, they still exist out there. There's still some people with more traditional kitchen faucets and so, you know, they're, they're still out there and they they actually have surprisingly good performance. Again, because now they're pressurized, it's attached to the faucet. And so you can apply pressure to the water that's going through the filter. Now you can have a carbon block filter, which has greater performance than a loose bed of, of granular carbon. So we see these these faucet mounted filters that have, have much better performance than I think a lot of people would expect. But again, the big, big, big drawback is compatibility. So, I mean, so few people now have kitchens where these things are even compatible uh, that it's it's difficult um, for a lot of people to even use one of these but they are out there you know same thing with the refrigerator filters it's, it's a small filter so it needs to be replaced fairly often which makes its ongoing cost much higher than people first initially perceive but uh, you know it's it's a step up from a from a pitcher style filter probably a step up from a lot of the fridge filters that are out there but still you know, several drawbacks there on that faucet mounted filter. I also found that even with the small size of the filter cartridge, a faucet mounted uh, a filter like that always felt really bulky and awkward on just yeah. attached to the to the end of the, the faucet like that. I mean, we're not talking just a diverter valve. It's like the a housing for the actual filter cartridge, and it's it's weird. I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I mean, some people get used to it, but every time I've, I've been to a place that had that, it, it felt weird. Yeah, it, 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 not yeah, it feels bulky. It feels in the way, like if you're washing your hands or washing dishes, it feels like you bang into that quite yeah. a bit. And I think that, you know, I've, I've never been on an engineering team that's designed one of these, but I bet you that weight becomes a consideration. You can't make it so big that it becomes, you know, a, a heavy weight on the end of that faucet and, and maybe, you know, could, could damage the faucet or, you know, holding on by those threads might not be strong mm-hmm. enough uh, for a bigger filter. So that, that might be part of the reason that they're so small also. Ready to go to the next one? Yeah, what are we going to talk about next here? Uh, ionizers next, a whole different kind of way of thinking. Yeah, so this is a little bit of a left turn on this discussion. So ionizers, 
And the reason we've included this here is not necessarily because it's a water filtration technology, although most ionizers that I've seen out there do have a water filtration element. That's more of an afterthought. It's more of a kind of an added feature that most ionizers have. Ionizers are, are have one primary function, and that is to ionize the water, which I don't think any of the three of us are necessarily equipped to, to, to talk about with a great deal of expertise. But a lot of people use these for a variety of reasons, but I do want to talk about the filtration element that most of these seem to have. Again, kind of getting back to our talk with the fridge filters and the, and the pitcher filters, it seems to me that because they are so small that it's more, hey, it's got a filter on it, that should be good enough. Right. And I know there's a lot of controversy with ionizers. Some people just love the concept. Some people don't love the concept. But regardless of how you feel about it, you really need a good filtration element on there to reduce the contaminants before you do anything with any kind of water. So, yeah, one of the, uh, you know, coming from, uh, you know, our perspective on this, I think one of the greatest things about ionizers is that it gets people to drink more water and gets people to, to consume and, to, and to, to have water and the quality of their water at the forefront of their minds. Now, these machines are can be fabulously expensive. And so I think people, once they invest in one of these machines, it's, they see it as an investment in their health and they want to kind of follow through on it. So they tend to drink a lot of water. Well, if that water is contaminated, well, you're just kind of compounding the issues that come with you know whatever contaminant might be in that water. So having some kind of really good pre-filter, I think is even more important for these machines because people tend to drink a lot more water if they're using one. Well, then they need to have a better filter on there. Right, definitely true. It's less so, a, a direct filter thing and more just a, like a, a complementary type item to an ex, like an existing filtration option. Say that again? It's it's less a, a direct like a, a filtration product and more like something that would that would complement or work in a complementary fashion to another filter. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. This this would be a, a combination of technologies. If people are going to use an ionizer, we always recommend that they uh, that they do some kind of supplementary water filtration system above and beyond what is offered by that particular manufacturer. Again. Space is at a premium with these things. They don't want to make these machines so big that it dominates your counter space. This is the kind of thing that most people, unlike Michelle's coffee maker, you can't <laughs> put back in the cabinet every morning after you're done yeah, using no, it. For sure. These things tend to live on people's countertops, and, um, and, and in some few cases, they're actually mounted underneath. But for the most part, they're on the countertop. And so the built-in filter is very small because they don't want to make these machines so gigantic. But the problem is you need a big filter to do a good job filtering the water for these systems. So, and that's kind of true with the next technology too. I don't know if we're done with this one, but sure. when you get a reverse osmosis system, the technology in itself is good for a specific reason. But when you add a multi-peer to that system, it makes it an amazing system together. So you, you, you don't want to have one without the other, kind of like with the ionizer. I think the ionizer has its place, but when you add a multi-peer to it, it, it just gives it a whole new dimension. I always find our RO systems uh, kind of interesting because they have, um, they do offer a lot of benefits in that it's it's a lot of filtration in, in one source. You know, you have uh, pre-filters, you have post-filters, you have their RO membrane. It's, it's multi-stage, but at the same time, it has a lot of the drawbacks of multiple other methods we've talked about. It's got the same type of uh, 
limited quantity uh, due to a filtered water reservoir that you get from gravity filters and pitchers because it is a, a fairly slow process. And at the same time, it does require water pressure. So it's not a, a passive thing. So it has, it's almost like two drawbacks there. It requires the water pressure and the, actually more than two. And it, it needs a lot of space under the sink. Yeah. It needs right. water pressure to work. So you can't rely on passive filtration. And at the same time, it still is limited by the reservoir of filtered water. So if you use it up, you now have to wait for it to refill. So despite its benefits, it, it's almost all its benefits are offset by uh, something that makes it less convenient. Yeah, so it's uh, it is very popular technology. A lot of people are getting them. There's a lot of refinements to these technologies. A lot of different companies coming up with with cool little whiz bang add-ons and and new features. But it comes down to that it takes a long time to process the water, like you said, Joel. So you do need to store it. For the most part, there's a handful out there that are so-called on demand. I'm not quite sure. I would think that if they really worked as well as the manufacturers claim, they'd be more popular than they are. But we still just see traditional RO systems out there where there's a number of pre-filters, the RO membrane, a holding tank, and a post-filter. It takes up a ton of space. It's a complex installation, tends to waste a lot of water, depending on how good the pressure is coming into it. And so, you know, there's it's a complex system. And, and um, yeah. I think people need to weigh what their needs are before jumping right into an RO system. And ROs aren't the silver bullet for everything that's out there. RO by itself, there's a reason that RO systems all come with carbon block filters, both before and after the RO membranes, because the RO technology itself is not a silver bullet. It doesn't take everything out of the water like so many people believe it does. Most of the ROs sold today have a a composite membrane, a, a thin film. It's a synthetic material. It's essentially a, a plastic, a polymer uh, that allows water to travel through it. Uh, but those are susceptible to chlorine, and chlorine can can damage them, destroy them, fouling them is is the word we use in the industry. And so you have carbon block filters before the membrane because the membrane is susceptible to damage from chlorine. Also, uh, ROs need carbon block filters to take organics out because organics will pass right through the membrane just like oxygen does. And so uh, you need a carbon filter to take the organics out. Uh, also, for some reason, and, and I don't know the chemistry behind this, but it seems like ROs don't do quite as well with mercury. I'm not quite sure why. So you need a carbon filter to take out mercury as well. So you know, some performance limitations on the RO system. But to be fair, things like salts, things like fluoride, RO is, is the best available technology that's out there for those. And so, like I said at the beginning, depending on what your needs are, RO might be the thing for you, or it might not be. You know, my thing always comes back to, you know, how useful is the system. And when you have so many filters to change, that's a problem, you know, because again, I have a hard time remembering to change the uh, smoke detectors once a year, <laughs> right? Until I go yeah. deep. But to remember to change three, sometimes four different filters on my RO system so that it works. Because again, like you said, if one's not working, it's going to mess up everything else. Yeah. And then the other thing is the water waste. You know, now when we're recording this in, in May 2022, we have a huge drought going on and we can't afford to waste, you know, four to seven gallons of water for every one gallon of water that you make. And so it's a, it's a huge thing. So 
we have to look at, like Kenton said, the technology, what's it going to do for you? Is this really the best option or are you just buying it because it kind of sounds like the magic bullet, you know? I, I, I think about 15 years ago, I had an RO system hooked up and all what I remember most about that is that the changing the filters was like an all day affair. It felt like you had, yeah. you're digging out like one filter, replacing it, flushing the system, digging out another filter, replacing it, flushing, and it just felt like it took hours. Like you had to block out your day to maintain the system, and I that was such a pain uh, that yeah, I don't look back particularly fondly about that experience. Where it almost makes you put off changing the, the maintaining the system because it's such a hassle. Yeah, it's intimidating. It's intimidating for a lot of people. You look at it and it looks so complex with all these tubes and connections and different filters that you have to change. It's not uncommon for people to just ah, forget about it. I'm not going to touch this thing. And the cost too, right? Not just one filter to change. You're looking at three or four filters to change. So it really, yeah. really adds up. Yeah, sometimes on, on completely different schedules too. Yeah. One filters every six months, the other filters once a year, the other filters once every two years. I mean, it's probably a lot more than people want to think about their water. But still, I think that there's a place for it out there. I don't think it's for everybody. In fact, I don't think it's for most people, but I, I think that uh, that RO does, does have a place. And, you know, without getting too much into the health aspect, um, because I don't think any of us are nutritionists, but um, RO does take out all the minerals out of water. And you know, a lot of people will argue that you need those minerals in your water, that your body is designed, you know, nature designed our bodies to to take minerals in from the water that we drink because, you know, all naturally occurring water out there, unless it's fallen freshly from the sky, has minerals in it. And so we need those minerals and RO kind of deprives us of that. So. Another consideration. Okay, let's uh, move on the list here. Now we're getting to some less popular technologies out there. W one thing I think we should talk about is distillers. We just don't see very many of these out there anymore. And I think because the medical community has come back around on distillers saying, yeah, especially when it comes to mineral content is that distillers, uh-uh, no. <laughs> not good for you to drink distilled water all the time. I think that it's maybe it's not unanimous, but there's substantial evidence on one side of the argument that distilled water is probably not good for you to drink, at least in day to day, on a day to day basis. Yeah, and you don't really see them out there anyways. I, don't, I think when I talked on the phone with people, that's just rarely, rarely comes up anymore yeah. where years ago. It did so. Yeah, I think like in the in the eighties, distillers were really at their heyday. Yeah. 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 Even then, distilled water is, is primarily used for appliances nowadays or, or chemistry experiments. Like I think like a lot of irons require or or suggest distilled water. Yeah. Uh, uh, CPAP devices require distilled water. Anything medical grade distilled yes. water. Yeah. Uh, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that it. You know, it has its place um, for for very specific needs and functions, and most distillers out there also need carbon, uh, because <laughs> so when you distill water, organics uh, will vaporize just like the water will, and will be collected uh, in the condensing unit just like the water will, and so your organics don't go anywhere. So you need to run it through an, a a carbon filter uh, to take those organics out. And then another thing that needs a carbon filter is the UV technology, right? Yeah, so a lot UV of people is not good. will use UV 
I don't know of any systems out there that are just exclusively UV, and UV stands for ultraviolet light. So the science here is that when you expose microbial contaminants to ultraviolet light, it, it damages the cell walls. You know, much like our skin, if we spend too much in the UV light out, outside in the sun, it damages, it damages the cells. But on a very small scale, when you're talking about bacteria and stuff, it, it can deactivate them. UV light does, and does a good job of it. In fact, a lot of cities now use UV light. I remember decades ago, when I was a kid, I visited a water treatment plant and they ran water under UV lights. And I was like, wow, how does it, that really works, huh? And so it does. Yeah, it's it's something that works and something that, that uh, does a decent job disinfecting the water, but needs to be used in conjunction with other technologies, especially carbon, because UV just is for killing microbes, killing, uh, killing bacteria, deactivating virus. And so that's, that's what it does, but it, it, it needs other things to go with it. Okay, so that brings us to uh, our final technology that we're going to talk about in this podcast, and that is carbon block filters. What Multipure uses, what Multipure's founders invented back in the 1970s, carbon block filters, ubiquitous in the world today now. Carbon block filters are everywhere in pretty much everything that we've talked about so far. Carbon block filters play a role, but they're good by themselves as well, especially if you have a good one, right? Yeah, and we already mentioned how many other types of filtration technologies use a carbon block. So a system specialized in a carbon block, especially specialized in, in a carbon block formulated to treat broad range contaminants would be, be better because that's the focus. It's not the afterthought. Right. That's true. We don't sell 50 billion things. We're just making the best water filter in the world. And it's nice, you know, again, you know, busy lives, forgetting to do things like batteries. It's nice because the filter just has to be changed once a year, you know, and it's easy. Uh, on the Aqualux, it's so easy. You could do it with one hand and a child could do it. You know, we saw a demonstration of that. So, I mean, we make it easy for people to change their filter. Um, it's not something you have to do every month. There's not a bunch of them that you have to do. Um, you're not jumping through different hoops to do it. You can sign up for the automatic program where the filter is shipped to you. And you just change it when it gets there. And it's an, an ex, it's inexpensive. You know, you're looking at 12 cents a, a gallon uh, for the best water. You know, pennies a day for all the water you could use in a day. You don't have to worry about running out. So it's, it's a really great system. I like that it doesn't take up a ton of room because... Uh... My wife was not a fan of the system on the, the kitchen counter, so I had to, <laughs> by, by a necessity, had to be transitioned to below the sink. And it doesn't take up a ton of room on the on the wall under the sink there. And uh, and it, that that did allow me though to split it off to to connect it to the fridge. So that actually was a nice little bonus there. It does, not a lot of room, out of sight, convenient that way. Yeah, I think when it comes down to it. A carbon block filter, especially one from Multipure, a high quality, high performance, single carbon block filter really is the best kind of, it's the best confluence between uh, performance and price. So value, essentially. Uh, it takes all of the benefits that are either uh, included or missing from a lot of the technologies that we've talked about that, that you guys have already mentioned. The convenience, the size, the cost, the performance. And it, it blends those with just ease of use. And it really has very few drawbacks in terms of performance. And so I think for, the, for most people, a good carbon block filter like ones manufactured by Multipure is the best solution because it's going to protect you from the most common things that we're seeing out there that are really causing the most problems. 
in terms of water quality, lead contamination, disinfection uh, byproduct contamination, PFOA, PFOS, the forever chemicals, a good filter like Multipure's Aqualux is going to protect you from bacteria and virus that's in the water. And so these things that, that I think are most common, these contaminants that are most common, a Multipure filter is going to provide that protection and is going to do it at a great value, very low cost, very manageable cost, very manageable size, and, and the physics of it all make it even better. You know, you've got on-demand water. It, I, I just think all around it's the best choice. It's funny, when I started with Multipure, 39 years ago-ish. Wow. Right? I know, because I'm so young still, right? But you started when, when I you got, were two? I know. One and a half. But, you know, when I Child got Child labor laws system, were different back then. <laughs> I didn't think about all the different things in the water because it really wasn't a big thing back then. But I know that I like to have filtered water. But as I've grown up with this company, my kids have grown up with this company, and all these different contaminants come into the marketplace that we've never heard of in the day. I mean, who would have thunk all this stuff would have been in the water? It's just been amazing to know that the multi-peer system has been taking care of it all along. So even if it was there 35 years ago, 40 years ago, and I didn't know it, I wasn't drinking that water because my multi-peer was taking care of it, you know? And I think that's the importance about when you're going to make an investment to buy something, when you're making that decision, it's important to buy something that you're going to use for a lifetime. Pitchers, while I commend people who have pitchers or, you know, other less expensive items to start with, those people are, are primed to get a multi-peer system because they've made that decision. Now let's help them make the decision to get the best system that's going to grow with them. And I think that makes a, a huge difference because you can't, you know, you can't back away from your health. I mean, coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's good to know yeah. that you have a system that's going to take care of that versus, oh, I wish I could have, I would have done it differently or had I known. But with a multi-peer, you don't have to worry about it. It just takes that one less thing you're thinking about out of your mind. So how's so that for right? In a, in a way, then, you're saying that uh, pitchers or uh, gravity carafts or uh, or faucet-bound things are like the gateway filters to a more powerful system, such as a multi-pure. They are. <laughs> They're like the training wheels, you know, like someone has to go from drinking tap water or maybe even bottled water to make a conscious decision to do something else. And then they need to get their head around it and go, wow, this is what I really need. So this is what they really need. Yeah. Very simple. Couldn't agree with you more. It's the evolution, a lot of you know different technologies that are out there. It's our own personal evolution in terms of developing the product and constantly improving it. It really is the best choice out there, I think, for most people. And um, you know, but it's good to know that these other technologies are out there. You know, there are some spe- specifics where maybe you do need a UV system. There are some specific times where maybe you do need a reverse osmosis system. Or an ionizer, and there's no reason why you can't use an ionizer and a multipure together. In fact, most ionizer people who use ionizers who are introduced multipure use a multipure in conjunction with it. They're not competing technologies; they're complementary technologies. But uh, you know, I think I think just all around, it's a good choice, and um, especially when you compare it to to what else is out there. For the most part, for most people, this is the right choice. All right. Well, uh, anything else to add here on our on our brief discussion on uh, water filtration technologies that are out there? Yes, it was a great brief discussion, and uh, <laughs> I think we hit it all. And holy cow! Yeah. I know, right? I mean, well, if we went in depth, this would be like a twelve part series. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? But I mean, it's, I think it's good that we mentioned all the different parts of it because it 
you know, people just don't understand the differences and, and there are significant differences. And I think that's the most important thing is understanding why they need a multi-pure over Agreed. something else. Agreed. Okay, well, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Remember to check us out on Instagram and Facebook. You can find links to all of our socials on our website, multipeer.com. Check out our brand new website, multipeer.com. All sorts of cool new features there in terms of of e-commerce and uh, service. So take a look at that. I want to thank our uh, co-host today, Michelle Priest. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks for including me. And Joel Polina, thank you for joining us. Not a problem. And yeah, we'll be back with more podcasts. Just uh, check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes. And uh, until then, we'll see you next time. And remember, Multipure is for life and for you. Mm-hmm.